everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by my buddy Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, uh, how hot is it in Austin today? <laughs> it's, you beat me to the punch there. It's definitely a hot, hot summer. I think we're, you know, we're in not triple digits, but uh, it's going to be 96 today. 96 is not great. It was, I think it's going to be like 82 here, a little bit less humidity uh, in the in the northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, so no complaints. Um, interesting kind of set of, uh, of news items and, and announcements to talk about this week. The first one that came up was Magic Leap, of all things. Um, this is a – man, this is a technology that has been – coming soon for four years, essentially, um, where they, they, they were the first to promise the future of augmented reality, only they wanted to call it something fancier, light field projection, something, something, something along those lines. But essentially, we're looking at augmented reality glasses. And this company had gone through round after round of, uh, of funding. Um, they had always been very stealthy. They had always been very undercover. Uh, all They were well known for all of the demos that they did. You had to sign an NDA before you could even see a demo. And there were very few kind of public uh, writings or, or notes about what the, what the demos were like. And uh, about a month ago, they started doing live streams on, I think, every other week or so in the build-up to the release of their developer kit. And so their most recent one this past week, um, you know, they've been showing uh, the device, its, it's, it's bug-looking goggles with uh, like a belt pack that you wear. Uh, that's all the processing's on a belt pack, and then it's wired up to there. But they finally talked about shipping time frame. Not a date, but a time frame. And by the end of summer, they're going to ship the Magic Leap 1 Creator Edition, which is the developer kit. And this is something that um, is pretty standard, I think, now in the AR, VR space. And it makes sense if you are creating a platform that nobody has created content for yet, that you kind of you need to seed these developers with some products and and some demos and some software SDKs to uh, uh, really get them uh, to 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 develop some software here. And then they also talked about the hardware for the first time, and it is powered by an NVIDIA Tegra X2, which is actually really interesting because it's the first non-automotive um, uh, implement or integration of this chip, right? So. Um, Pretty pretty interesting move there. Uh, I think a lot of people thought they were going to use Qualcomm, but they ended up going with uh, with an Nvidia part. Yeah, Qualcomm's an investor, and I had I was putting money that this was going to be a a Qualcomm chip to some derivative, uh, but you know they went with the side pack right where uh, all of the electronics are not actually in the headset. They're in an accompanying pack, which would give them a little extra room to. Uh, have more wattage. The first demo, I have to say, is pretty underwhelming. It's essentially uh, somebody, you know, throwing a boulder at you and, you know, using occlusion and you can step out of the way. But it's a, a far cry from the whale in the gymnasium uh, in the clouds jumping up and amazing all of these people. You know, I've been skeptical about this from the start, and maybe that's fair, maybe that's not fair, but it was the way that uh, it rolled out the technology, 
which which was to nobody. And in our business, that typically means that that you're Apple, or um, you're trying to hide something, right? That, that there's something wrong with it. Well, Magic Leap isn't Apple, and uh, they can't get away with this. And and I'm very underwhelmed with the real video of uh, what they're actually going to ship. Yeah, they the in all of the build up to this, they had created and, and published some very well produced video that was supposed to simulate what you see in the headset, and they were they were amazing. It was amazing content, and you're like, okay, this this is how this is going to work. This is going to be substantial. Um, and you're right, the demo that they showed on this live stream is not that. It is the the graphics are uh, um, they're they're underwhelming, as you mentioned. Um, the effect that you have is neat, right? But it's not something that we kind of haven't seen before. Um, the tracking was a little bit finicky, kind of like juddered and 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 moved around as the camera was moving around. And then there was some one of the developers or one of the um, executives on. Uh, Twitter talking about, yeah, but in, until you see it in person, it doesn't have the same effect. We can't do the same thing for the cameras. So I hold out a little bit of hope that they can uh, improve on that. And what I will say is after announcing a shipping time frame, no price yet, but a shipping time frame, the hardware inside of it, at least for me personally, it goes from a a vaporware discussion to a, well, I'll believe it when I see it type of discussion. So that's that's an improvement for them in my eyes. I don't think it's a drastic one, but it at least it at least is uh, is something there. You're right. You're right. I'm looking forward to getting it. I'm probably going to sp- uh, uh, pay the exorbitant price for it, and uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the next another Nvidia topic. Um, they are powering that Magic Leap one. They're also now uh, with a partnership with uh, Daimler and Bosch going to be powering the automotive uh, compute units for these combined companies' plans for level four and level five autonomous driving systems. Um, they're going to be using the Drive Pegasus device, which is something that is just recently announced, I guess, at GTC. It has um, some some rather beefy uh, SOCs that have ARM-based cores and uh, 256 CUDA core Pascal parts on it, but then they also are including next-generation kind of undisclosed discrete GPUs as well, two of each of these on these boards. So these are very high-performance high platforms. Uh, it's kind of the first product we've seen announced with Drive Pegasus on here. And I think what made this announcement more substantial in my eyes was that we now have you know a, a tier one car vendor and a tier one automotive supplier definitively saying which compute platform is going to deliver level four and level five autonomous driving uh, in the 2020 2021 time frame. You know if you take if you take uh, if you take Tesla out of the mix who. Uh, tends to overpromise a lot. Um, this is kind of like the first definitive statement on we've got the compute we've need, we've got the sensors we need. This is this is coming now, right? As opposed to uh, we're in development, we're partnering with these guys on their technology, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is a big deal. I mean, four and five are basically 
you know, depending on whose definition is, it, it does not have a human and it, it does not have a steering wheel. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so this is a big deal. Uh, what do you think about this compared to, let's say, BMW and Intel and, and, and what they're doing? Um, I think the, I think the differences are in the the commitment to a specific platform, right? I think all the other announcements that one included is more about technology partnership and we're working together to develop the right thing. This to me says NVIDIA has developed the right thing and we are ready to implement it and get going as opposed to even even other even the other Nvidia partnerships that they've announced in the past is like oh we're we're having a strategic partnership with Audi or whoever it was going to be Toyota um, to use Nvidia technology to develop our self-driving stuff uh, and this that that was great and it was a necessary step and it was something that we all had to go through in order to get to the places where we can say okay now we're ready we're going to use this this platform with these processors and this collection of sensors, and we're going to start implementing this. And uh, to me, I think that that's kind of the, the standout here. They didn't give anything about how many cars were going to ship with this or um, what models would even get it uh, or, or how soon. They did say the beginning of the next decade, so you can take that either from you know 2020 to 2022. Depending on it, you know, level four will likely come out before level five. Level five will be, you know, the the driver completely driverless stuff where it's, um, you know, going to be robo taxis probably in you know college campuses or urban areas, those types of things. Um, but for for me, Nvidia has been talking for a long time about their leadership in self driving autonomous driving vehicles and the technology that powers it and the simulation stuff and um, the the big data uh, processing needed for it. This, this to me, kind of solidifies their position. Yeah, Intel owns Mobileye. Mobileye um, has a lot of experience in a, in a lot of these cars. But in terms of the next levels, in particular, I guess, no pun intended, levels four and five of, of this AV tech, this, this appears to be it. It's impressive stuff, um, you know. With all the flurry of announcements, it's hard to parse through what's real and and what's not. But uh, mm-hmm. this one is is pretty definitive. Yep. Um, there was a little bit of an Intel 5G saga over the last uh, couple of weeks or so. There was a story uh, that that actually I wrote about it on Market Watch. It was originally published on like a Law 360 blog uh, about someone who was actually, I can't imagine this being my daily job of going to the Apple, Intel, Qualcomm lawsuits and sitting through all of the testimony every day. Um, But somebody does that apparently. And as part of this, an Intel technology lawyer named Stephen Bowers actually testified about the impact that Intel would have if the 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 cur- this current suit we're going to talk about is one where Qualcomm was suing um, through the ITC International Trade Commission to halt the import and sale of Intel modem-based iPhones, right? So that's a significant significant portion of uh, of that iPhone landscape, and as it turns out, of Intel's uh, modem partnerships. So basically, the 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 summary of this was that. This lawyer stated that if this was upheld, if Intel had to or Apple had to stop selling 
Intel-based iPhones, that it would derail the Intel cellular development process internally so dramatically that they would be forced to abandon their 5G technology development. Because their 5G technology development depended on 4G sales and the contracts they have and the partnerships that they've been uh, that they have and they've been working on, and that if they had to spend a year redesigning the things that Qualcomm says are uh, you know uh, the offending uh, patents, that they would lose those partnerships, they would never be able to recover, uh, they would abandon 5G, and in that case, Qualcomm would have a near uh, monopoly on 5G, and that would be bad for the consumer. Um, so any, any comments on that? Cause that was, this was, that was, that's not a rumor. That's something that an Intel lawyer stated. You could argue whether or not they might be exaggerating that to some degree because they just desperately want this lawyer to side in their favor and not have Apple stop selling their phones. But yeah, this is the, uh, do what I want you to do. Or I'm going to shoot my dog strategy. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, many times I worked in big companies for over 20 years, and many times uh, the legal legal groups, chief legal counsel, and the product groups are are not completely in alignment on things. You know, I'm sure the uh, product group was cringing as this is going out, and <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe uh, chief counsel didn't even advise the product groups of it. Um, you know, we 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 just don't know, but. I think it does show just how important Qualcomm IP is here. Uh, you know, two years ago, many people didn't even really know what Qualcomm did. They thought they shipped, you know, manufactured modems. Right. Um, but um, I, I think it's 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 just this this whole thing is is fascinating, and uh, uh, Apple wanted to create a create some controversy. And play a power move, and and they're they're getting exactly what uh, what they want here. They had even uh, I I'm sure it was Apple had had put out the rumors that um, you know if this were to occur, they'd be using MediaTek modems. I think both of us kind of looked at that with kind of shocked, raised eyebrows. Like, really, you're gonna you're gonna go from the best performing modem technology down through Apple, down through MediaTek. For what is considered, you know, for a twelve hundred dollar flagship smartphone, seemed a little bit out of place. Uh, the other, the other bit that occurred here is maybe, uh, maybe because of or just a coincidence, there was a a rumor going around that this had actually already occurred. That Apple was dropping Intel um, technology from their devices that they were um, uh, going to accelerate their plans to develop internally. And all this was based on a rumor that came out of uh, an Israeli uh, technology news site, essentially, that um, that this, this was going to be the case. Um, and then, as kind of normally, ha- I don't want to say normally happens, but often happens, you go research some of this stuff, and, and both you and I talked with Intel in this regard and got like some commentary from them basically saying, hey, none of this is true. And the the product, the codenamed product that people think is a 5G modem is actually a Wi-Fi Bluetooth component. And all of this is being overblown. And all this, this, th- this had kind of dramatic repercussions in the 24 hours that the story cycle had 
had really uh, gone around. Yeah, it did. Uh, Qualcomm stock went up, right, 4%. Uh, Intel's was largely unchanged. But, you know, I bid on this uh, hook, line, and sinker because it looks so definitive. And this um, this Israeli uh, site uh, had, had been accurate a lot on Intel rumors. You know, yeah. Massive uh, Intel facility there. And... So I bid it, and I, I kind of saw this as Apple negotiating through uh, the press, which they do all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the Intel renegotiation came up, you know, the rumors of Apple doing a replacement chip uh, always flourished. It was about every every two years. Um, but but yeah, I mean, this was a a Bluetooth uh, Wi-Fi chip had nothing to do with five uh, G and. Intel was very clear with me that nothing has changed, schedules haven't changed, customer commitments have not have not changed. You know, I, I took a little flack on Twitter uh, for that, uh, and I think you did too. But uh, yeah. it ended up uh, we were we were absolutely uh, right in this. Yeah, I think you know the the, the legal disputes that are still in in flux are dramatic they could have some pretty substantial repercussions um but this is not yet one of them is it possible that something like this occurs i think it's i think it's possible it's on the table if everything happens right uh but i also think you know if we go back to that first story where the intel lawyer said oh if we don't get this into if we don't get this apple deal then we're out um that that's something that would have been disclosed during uh financials you know if if you're at if you're at a one customer risk and and this lawsuit's been going on for a long time and you you come to the conclusion that ah, if this goes our doesn't go our way we're out that would be something that i think would be more publicly known um or understood because of kind of how how our public uh companies have to communicate with their investors yeah um how about if Apple just pays Qualcomm for the IP that they're using? That could work. How, you know, that's like, that's you know, how, yeah. how about that, right? Apple has not paid Qualcomm uh, money. What it has has it been for a year uh, that this has gone on? Where literally every iPhone and every iPad with with an LTE modem inside is using Qualcomm IP, and they're not paying for it. Uh, yeah, to the, to the tune of around a billion dollars a quarter, it's it's impacting and it it's making Qualcomm stock. It took their stock down fifty percent. Yeah. So how about Apple just pays for the IP? I mean, does that sound does that just crazy and outlandish? <laughs> crazy talk, Ryan. It it seems like it, uh, if only because this is the only world I've ever known. Patrick is <laughs> lawsuits, lawsuits, lawsuits figured out from there well my dad is a, a corporate attorney and so is my brother and actually my other brother has a has a law degree too and and uh yeah i i've seen a lot of lawsuits in in my time yeah um real quickly i, I posted a story a, a couple weeks ago as well looking at micron this is it's not exa- it's not brand new news their quarterly results were were a few weeks ago 
But I had got, finally gotten time to kind of go back and look through stuff. Um, you know, their fiscal Q3, Micron had a 40% increase in revenue over the previous year. Um, they have a net income of $7.8 billion in that quarter. Their um, uh, stock price is up 90% in the last calendar year. I kind of made a statement that Micron is one of these. I don't, they're not a stealth company. They're an enormous company, right? If you're doing $8 billion in revenue a quarter... But if you compare them to Samsung or Intel, Nvidia, they, you know Micron doesn't get the the play that a lot of these other guys are getting in the market. Um, Samsung, obviously, known for everything from appliances to TVs to phones, but their memory and semi technology is is probably where they bring in the majority of their money. And, and Micron is in that memory field as well and fabrication facilities. Um, the question that, that comes up for Micron is because they are memory exclusive, whereas Samsung is you know, in a lot of different places, um, will the boon that we are in for memory prices and memory uh, demand subside? And a lot of analysts go back and forth on this, and they're debating you know, whether or not um, the market for smartphones will affect this, or how the market for AI will affect this. And in... In my view, the though I don't think we'll be able to to maintain the 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 twenty the late twenty seventeen early you know, basically all of twenty seventeen early twenty eighteen demand curve that we have um, the 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 need for DRAM for system memory and for longer term storage and, and flash NAND memory um, is not going to go away as we see things like uh, the IoT explosion coming before us. It will need both of those types of technologies in smaller form or smaller capacities, but we're talking about billions of units there. Um, the AI space needs tremendous amounts of memory to hold the data sets to do all this compute infrastructure, right? NVIDIA's uh, name might be driving the AI space, but every one of their GPUs, every one of their processors requires memory and, and like a tremendous amount of it. And there's a lot of competition in the, in the NAND space. Micron does have one of the benefits um, compared to many of the other guys. Samsung does this as well, but they can be vertically integrated. They sell to consumers, they sell to OEMs, but then they also sell component level devices too. So I, I, I think looking at the memory market, you know, yes, there's going to be flux, but do I, do I believe that we're 12 months away from a tanking of the memory demand? Not even close. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I mean, typically uh, this market is feast or famine. And um, we everybody thought we were going to go into this feast, right? But, but the challenge is, is that this insatiable appetite in the data center and with smartphones and, and even PCs who are still only 40% uh, flash, uh, is is not abating anytime anytime yeah. soon. Now I do think that prices will get less ludicrous on on let's say more of the standard offerings, and I think that's good for the industry because it's it's hindering its growth. I mean, there there are server manufacturers I talk to who aren't selling servers because they can't get flash. So um, it it's an issue. But I do think the higher performance stuff, let's say the three D crosspoint type of uh, memory, uh, I mean, people are just begging 
for that right now. So I think Micron's in a in a pretty good position. And you know, as for very people, very few people understanding what they do, they don't invest at all in in marketing or comms, yeah. IR, AR. You know, to get yep. a lot of people. You know, they're classic. They stick to the investors, and and that's about it. Yep, I agree. That's something. That's an area they could definitely improve, uh, both for, you know. In investor education about what these guys do, and then also like consumer education for uh, what products they build and what they can be can be building. So, uh, another thing that occurred this week: Microsoft released a new Surface, maybe not one that many people um, were hoping for or looking forward to. This one is a Surface Go. This is, you know, not a new, more powerful version of the Surface. This is a smaller, more compact, more portable device. Um, have you actually been able to utilize one of these yet? I have not, Ryan. Uh, Neither have I. That uh, one will be in the mail uh, as soon as it's available, but uh, I haven't. It is very interesting. I mean, the rumor of a smaller surface has been around forever, right? There was even a rumor about a a seven inch tablet years ago with a Qualcomm chip in it, um, and on this ten inch. I think it's things that I think it's a form factor that people been asking for, but I don't think that Microsoft was ready. I don't think Windows 10 was ready for this. I mean, Windows 10, uh, Windows 8 was designed for a minimum of 11 inches uh, in a 16 by 19 form factor, and and this is uh, very different uh, from that. So, you know, I, I think this is the first design that goes head to head with um, the iPad. And I know, there's a, you right. know there's a lot of discussion about that. Oh, does it really compete or do, doesn't? Well, it's hitting a price point and a form factor that they never that they never had before. And um, um, in a in a configuration that that looks an awful lot like the iPad Pro. In fact, it. It's right in the middle. It's more expensive than the iPad. It's less expensive than the iPad Pro, but brings a lot of differentiation to the table. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I do agree that the the comparison to the iPad is is relevant and important on this one. Um, I think the it, it's a tablet for three ninety nine. I think that the iPad's three seventy nine. So it's it's as competitive as you're going to get. The the interesting play here is because of its low cost, right? It does come in a, I would say, suboptimal hardware configuration where you've got four gigs of memory and sixty four gigs of eMMC, which is relatively slow storage. It's fine, but it's 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 relatively slow compared to the rest of the Surface line and probably what's uh, in the iPad. Um, if you upgrade a little bit, you can get eight gigs of memory up to sixteen gigs of memory, and you can even the one hundred twenty-eight gig drive is NVMe, so it's going to be noticeably faster. You start adding in the keyboard and the pen, and it's going to be an expensive product. But again, this is exactly what the iPad and the iPad Pro uh, uh, kind of segment is like. The tablet is the tablet seems relatively inexpensive, and then when you start adding the accessories or the capacities that you need, uh, it's going to it's going to spike. I do think what's one of the interesting things is the education angle here where um, I think the iPad in that interface and that style makes sense for the education market on um, 
elementary school type age kids. As soon as you get into middle school and then definitely into high school when you're starting to require them to write reports, do research, um, the productivity capabilities of a Windows-based device are going to exceed that of what an iPad or an iPad Pro will offer, uh, and especially for the same for the same dollar amount. So in my mind, this is, this is kind of a, an interesting thing that goes against the iPad. It goes against the Chromebook. It goes against uh, it's kind of against the always connected PCs, although this, this version does not have LTE connectivity yet. They say they're bringing that out late this year. Um, so I think they're going after a lot of different places here. Do you? And in, in terms of processor, they ended up going with an Intel Pentium Gold unit, which is essentially the, an Atom processor. They did not choose a Qualcomm part here. Do you think they made the right decision today for this? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to have to use this. I'm going to have to get the feel for it, right? I, I have no sense of how, uh, you know, 4 gig EMMC, 8 gig S, you know, uh, flash will, will perform. I have to feel it. Microsoft told me in my briefing that they made modifications to the operating system as well to make it work better with uh, this Intel part. I mean, hmm. listen, I want, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen an 850 or, you know, the fabled uh, one, 1K uh, part yeah. uh, in this thing. I think nine hours is just not enough. Um, I agree. For, yeah. For, for this type of application. I mean, um, yeah, I, I need to, I need to, I was, in my article on Forbes, I was very TBD on it until I get, until I get my, until I get my hands on it. I mean, I love the idea of students being able to, during the day, have this tablet with a keyboard mm -hmm. um, and high school students, not not elementary or middle. And then the ability right. to go home, dock this thing, a uh, 32-inch display, a big keyboard and mouse, and pound out some serious work, right? That, to mm -hmm. me, is awesome. Um, uh, but I just have to get the feel... Uh, for it, I would have bet money this was going to be the uh, the Qualcomm uh, part yeah. piece they brought out. Yeah, I agree because I, and I agree with you on the battery life. The battery life of nine hours feels pretty low compared to what we've seen on our on our always connected PCs, the Asus Novago or Lenovo one that we'll talk about in a second, for example. Uh, and then you know you don't have the LTE connectivity, which the more I use them, the more I appreciate what that can really do. So uh, nothing, it, I, I'm with you, it's interesting. It's also a little bit interesting that they announced it when they did, when they're not shipping until August, and it's it's a little bit out of cycle for what Microsoft has done, I feel like. Um, and I don't know what necessarily they were trying, what deadline they might have been trying to beat. Yeah, but, the only uh, thing I can think of on that one is to, to start generating some interest. Uh, they have to get this if they're selling this through a place like Best Buy or, or something like that. They, they yeah. need to get everybody trained, and it would have leaked uh, once they started training them, because the back to school season starts uh, in the very you know at the end of July in two weeks. So yep. I, I feel like that's what they were trying to intercept. Got it. Got it. Uh, we do have uh, a couple more quick things to talk about. One is Intel. Uh, made a, a move and bought and acquired a company called EASIC, um, which they're adding to their programmable solutions 
Group. I had never heard of this company before, and I'd actually never even done any research on what they build, which is called a structured ASIC. Um, so they they bought this company that will now uh, cr- allow them to build something that sits between your standard ASIC, your standard you know designed fabricated chip, and an FPGA, which is obviously the field programmable gate array. And it's interesting for. If you don't know, and I didn't know what a what a um, what a structured ASIC was, it basically allows you um, to have a mask programmable chip instead of a field programmable chip. So basically, once it's out and it's you know in in the working environment, no, you cannot reprogram it. But it's easy to change the programming through the manufacturing process without having to resert the the design every time you go through it. So it's an in-between step that allows them to build um, better performing, smaller, somewhat programmable chips as opposed to the very large uh, uh, space that an FPGA can take up, for an example. They didn't really talk yet about what um, what they're going to use these for or anything like that, uh, but it definitely looks like an interesting addition to their to their product line this move is totally expected um you know when they came out with their 10 nanometer come clean uh announcement uh i had talked to some folks there and wrote about you know kind of what this really means and intel is moving very rapidly to a chiplet strategy uh and also a heterogeneous compute uh strategy Mm. Um, and you know, and whether it's you know two and a half D, three D stacking and, and and packaging, that is Intel's future. The massive monolithic die is dead. Um, it is it is dead and buried. And for some people, it's at ten nanometer, and for some people, it's at seven. So this yeah. this to me, I I, I had uh, prophesized that that this would happen. Um, essentially, uh, a this type of ASIC design threads the needle between an FPGA and a standard ASIC, right? The, the upside to an ASIC is it's going to be the most, uh, uh, the least power hungry, but you can tack on about a year to your development cycle versus an FPGA, okay? Um, mm. And that's the, that's the drawback. Uh, E-ASIC is, very, is a small version of E-silicon. Uh, E-Silicon is the company who um, designs the Google TPU. And, and essentially, just, just like you explained, um, it doesn't reduce that entire year penalty, but uh, you know, at least comp- companies like E-Silicon claim that it takes six months off, off of the schedule. Um, so very, very expected. So theoretically, hmm. right, a future Intel... We'll have uh, CPU, GPU, DSP, uh, ASICs, uh, and then uh, being able to productize those using advanced uh, packaging, uh, you know, the future of EMIB uh, per, per se. So right. I expect them to make, Intel to make more acquisitions like this. Uh, I expect them to make uh, 3D packaging uh, acquisitions. They probably didn't buy E-Silicon uh, because they were too big, and there would have been, uh, you know, the regulators would have gone crazy. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and the last bit of news we can get to here was a surprise yesterday. Was it yesterday before Broadcom 
is going to buy CA, Computer Associates. Of course. Uh, of course. What? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, don't doesn't IoT chips uh, and mainframe software, doesn't that make sense to you? Yeah, it seems so odd to me. Like it's, it had honestly it had been so long since I had heard Computer Associates CA even mentioned um, that I was just like, this this feels like an old school company being acquired by something that doesn't match at all, right? And we and we've talked about Broadcom a lot on this podcast because of their whole uh, you know hostile bid to try to take Qualcomm that failed. Um, and what Hawk Tan's kind of management styles were and what his what his stated goals were. So I have no doubt that like from a spreadsheet perspective, somehow this makes sense. But I can't wrap my head around technologically what this well, might mean. I, I think that Broadcom, the company, has entered a new realm where they're no longer a chip company. They're in they're a technology investment company. Okay. Um, where you know I you and I always talked about Qualc- about Broadcom being a roll-up, and essentially a roll-up means that you have to keep feeding the beast to come in to take dramatic losses that are that, that show up as non-GAAP while showing a revenue increase at the same time uh, slashing and, and burning. So essentially, it Broadcom is now an inv- a technology investment company, right? They're not a a futuristic um, VC mm. uh, per se. They're not a fund, but they are going to go in and take um, companies where they believe a lot of costs can be taken out um, and they're going to buy them and fix them up and sell things and and that's how they're going to make a, a lot of their money. And, you know, Wall Street, which, you know, Broadcom had been a darling, they... They liked the deal so much that they uh, their stock went down fourteen <laughs> percent. Okay. Yeah. Almost the value. Not a great sign. The value of CA. Um, wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. Interesting yeah. move. I mean, listen, I. It's everything that we talked about, right? Nobody be nobody who really understands Broadcom should be should be surprised here, and and now. And this is really going to be a challenge. Is now um, Broadcom uh, has angered uh, the investment community, and I don't know if that's short term yeah. or long term, but 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 that was the community that loved um, um, the Broadcom Qualcomm way. acquisition, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. All right, let's finish up on this. Uh, you've had some time with the Lenovo Mix 360. This is uh, this is the the most recent of the uh, uh, always connected Qualcomm machines, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I started off with the HP Envy uh, X2, and then went to the ASUS Novago, and now I'm kind of rounding out my. My ACPC Qualcomm 835 tour with the uh, Mix uh, 630, and you know it's interesting. It 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 has less RAM, which you know has six gigs of RAM, which scared the heck out of me. Um, sure. Uh, and it came with one gig of gigabyte of free data, which was just out of the box, right? So huh. um, surprisingly, the six gigs of RAM isn't 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 hurting me nearly as much as I thought. 
And all I can think of is that RS4 uh, improved their memory management uh, somehow. But I'm not taking nearly uh, as many hits as I thought I would. You know, the where I'm really getting hit on memory is not necessarily an edge, but it's in these new uh, PWA apps uh, like Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook are just crushing me. That's where I start running out of memory. Where, uh, um, I mean, you know, uh, I think Twitter was taking up uh, 500 megabytes of, of memory. So uh, the cool part, though, is out of the box, this thing comes with connectivity. And every everybody, uh, I think, in the industry should, um, should do that, right? Is that with a particular carrier? Like, how does that work? It's a it's a Versatel. It's automatically connected to Versatel. Uh, it's branded, okay. so it's an MVNO solution, and it's branded Lenovo Connect. But the back end is is really uh, Versatel. Interesting. So, and I just I thought that was good. I mean, everybody should be everybody should be uh, everybody should be doing that. And what's surprising me especially is this is the first one I've left in S mode. And, you know, oh, right. Yeah, my, I heard you discussing hatred, that. I mean, my utter hatred for S mode and Edge uh, before RS4 was was immense. Uh, but hmm. uh, I am missing one or two programs that I'm just doing as, as web programs. So Google Hangouts chat. It's a 64-bit app. It does not run on this platform. Hmm. And instead of using uh, Outlook Calendar, I'm using uh, Windows Calendar. Because my back end is Got Google, it. and for some yeah. reason, uh, the Google Connector app does not work with the store version of Outlook. So, but I've been <laughs> um, I've been happy, and I'm getting you know that 20 hour, two work day uh, out of this out of this sucker. Okay. Um, is the for, this is a this is a two in one right? It's or it's a uh, detachable two in one. I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I should have right? mentioned that up front. A two in one detachable. It, it comes with a uh, comes with a pen. You know the 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 one thing I really like about it is is that the keyboard doesn't bend as I'm typing on it, and it doesn't flex down. It does not yeah. flex because it's actually a hardened piece of plastic on top, and then a faux leather. Uh, on the back, and I really like that. the The NVX2 um, did not have that, and the keyboard uh, would bend uh, when you uh, when when I typed on it occasionally. So yeah. I like you know it added a tiny bit of weight, but when it comes to these machines, who cares, right? Even if it added yeah. one tenth of a pound to put that piece of plastic on top, uh, it, it 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 just doesn't uh, bend. So. Man, I'm uh, I'm really excited about these devices. Uh, I I can't wait to get the 850 and and maybe even the, the fabled uh, Qualcomm 1K. You're waiting a little uh, bit longer for that yeah, one. Uh, uh, in this thing, but overall, <laughs> overall uh, exceeded my my expectations. Good, good. I haven't tried that one yet. I'll have to I'll have to nab one and see what that one is like as well all right uh, that's going to be it for us this episode guys if you want to find all the previous episodes we've recorded you can go to thetechanalysts.com where you can find our podcast on itunes or google play or any of those other locations uh, that you that you hunt for podcasts and we'll be back uh next week with another episode thanks everyone <laughs> <laughs>